0: Um, Alright, so last week I go into a convenience store to uh, buy a lottery ticket and um, there's several people in front, people are coming in the doors, it's about 8.15 on a Wednesday night, the drawing going to take place I believe at 11. And um, a woman up at the counter is being told that she owes $10, she only has $6.00 and she is looking a little uh, frightened and concerned, maybe embarrassed that she doesn't have the money. Uh, There's no canceling the ticket, the clerk is telling her, uh, because once you order, them, it's gotta go through the process, she's gotta have the money. So she said, well, let me me run to my car. And before she goes out the door, I just, it's kind of a reflex, I just say, ma'am, How much do you need? Um, And she said, I need 10, but I have six here. And I said, all right, you take my $10 bill, I'll take your five, we'll call it good, and good luck, I hope you win. So she went back up to the counter, paid her bill, and um, after she paid her bill, she uh, turned and kind of had her head down and I could see there were tears coming down her face. And uh, she walked up to me and she said, oh, I must have your phone number. Um, I'm going to pay you back. And I say, honey, you you don't need my phone number. Just good luck. I hope you win. And um, you know, have a a great night. Don't worry about that. And she hugged me. I hugged her. And she said, I'm new uh, here. I moved down from the north, and um, I miss my family horribly. As tears continued to roll down, and uh, she was so appreciative, and I know this falls in line with uh, what Andrea's been talking about uh, in church the past uh, week, two weeks. And um, it's crazy how we never know what something so small. Uh, an act of kindness and how it might ripple, uh, because there were several people standing in line that day, and um, there were more comments made about uh, just you know um, stepping up and and helping that woman in a situation and giving her um, you know just a couple bucks to help her do that and uh, not expecting anything in return and. Um, so I share this story not to, to pat myself on the back, but to just simply remind everyone those little things that we do that um, we never expect any appreciation from. Um, boy, they can just come out and really hit you in the old ticker and, and uh, show you what a wonderful world and wonderful people that we have in it. So thank you.
1: So it is the Sunday before the Super Bowl. Who are you rooting for? The Panthers, all right. I just wanted to make sure, you know, we can always have some deflectors in the crowd. And if you are, maybe you just didn't want to, like, say anything right now. This morning, the opening point that I want to talk about is about Cam Newton. Whether you like him, hate him, whatever, he actually teaches us something about what it means to be a follower of Christ. And now, I want to start with some stats about Newton, and I'm going to read them because there is no way ever that I could memorize these. So take a look on the screen. He is the only player in the modern era within a one-year span to be awarded the Heisman Trophy, win a national championship, and become the first overall pick in an NFL draft. He's the 2011 NFL Rookie of the Year, a three-time pro bowler named to the NFL. He was named to the NFL All-Pro First Team in 2015. He was the first rookie quarterback to throw for 400 yards in his first and second game, shattering Peyton Manning's first game record by 100 120 yards. He broke Otto Graham's 61-year-old record for passing yards by any quarterback in an NFL debut. He was the first rookie quarterback to throw for 4,000 yards in a season. I don't know anything about football, but that's a lot. First rookie quarterback to rush for 700 yards. He ran for 14 touchdowns, more in a single season than any quarterback in NFL history, breaking Steve Grogan's 35-year-old record. In 2005, 15, Newton became the first quarterback in NFL history to throw for 30 touchdowns and rush for 10 in the same season 35 passing, 10 rushing. He became the only quarterback ever to have 300 yards passing, five touchdown passes, and over 100 yards rushing in the same game. I'm assuming he was tired after that one. In the final game of the 2015 16 season, Newton tied Steve Young's records for the most career rushing touchdown by a quarterback, a record that Young set after 50. Teen seasons in the NFL compared to Newton's five. Now, I read those not just to like try to be culturally relevant, even though I do, I read those to make a point. You heard all that stuff, right? Like he broke some people's records that had existed for like 15 years. He broke those records in five. Here is my question for you today because this seems to be the polarizing point around Cam Newton. If you, I want you to pretend for just a minute you are a quarterback in the NFL. If those were your stats, wouldn't you want to dance? I mean, really. Really? Let's be honest here. We try to do that in worship. Um, If those were your statistics, after you scored your touchdown, wouldn't you be like, yes, I would. And the truth is probably most of us would. In fact, that's sort of why we're looking at this uh, message series called How to Measure Your Life and to Create a Life that is Life-Sized. Because you see, we all measure ourselves, our self-worth by different things. Newton has been a fan of football since he was a young boy. It's a part of his family culture. And he talks about how when he was little, his dad used to make him not eat Cheerios and watch uh, cartoons on a Saturday morning, but made him get out in the yard and start working on football drills with him. He said At the time, he regretted it, he hated it, he didn't wanna do it, but now if he is lucky enough, and I quote him, if I am lucky enough to have a son, I will do the exact same things with my son that my father did with me. The gentleman, the man, is gifted. He has a skill, certainly all parts and pieces have to be in play for some of these things to happen, but come on, he's good, he is great at what he does. Doesn't he "'Deserve to Dance.'" When West started, when we chartered, which means we became a legit church. We were not a part of a, a network of churches anymore, other than the United Methodist denomination. When West chartered three years ago, just over three years ago, we were told in any church study, anybody that's ever coached new church pastors, they get you ready, not for the first Sunday, but they try to get you ready for the second. And then they tell you, you better get your leadership team, your launch team ready. And here's what you better get ready for, your own statistics. You know, in the United Methodist Church, we measure things by statistics as well. And they said, you know, you are going to have this amazing first Sunday. I promise you'll have lots of people. People from the Mama Church will come. The denominational officials will be here. And it'll just be a great day. And you better plan for the second Sunday, the statistic will be half of what the first Sunday was. So that's what you need to tell your leadership and your launch team, half, plan for half. And then the even more sobering statistic after that is after you've planned for that first half, by your third Sunday, you will have cut that half and half again. Those are the numbers that you will settle with, and that's the foundation from which you build. The hope of all churches is to break 200 on that first day so that if you break 100 on week two, you'll have a decent foundation to build the church. This had been drilled in my head. I didn't sleep at night. I prayed, I prayed, God, please bring the people. Uh, I had felt called to be a pastor for some time, but never thought I'd have to like go find the people. I thought I would just be moved and they would magically already be there. So this was not a part of some long-term dream I had, and I was petrified. I was terrified that I, we, would fail. So the first Sunday, we get here, and, and the auditorium is, is over half full. I think it seats like 650, 700 in here. And we had 381 that first Sunday. I'm like, sweet, yay. And then I'm like, oh, prepare yourself. Next Sunday, we're only going to have about half of that. So came back, and, and their, their stats were almost true. But you know what? The third Sunday, there was no more half The third Sunday, we had basically 10 plus or minus 10 of the second Sunday, and that's where we began building our foundation, which was over the magic number of New Church Starts 200. Now, I've got to tell you the truth. You don't know what happens with me between right there, that black curtain, and the outside door where I go to greet you after it's over and I say, I'm in. There are things that happen with me, usually Rob Babinski, the drummer, sees them on my face. When I feel like I have bottomed out and the message made no sense and I preached way too long and I wonder if you're still awake or, you know, out of a coma. I, you know, make this face and I'm like, oh, I knew and I should have done this and this and this and I forgot. That happens Pretty frequently, more frequently than I want, but I've got to tell you, on that third Sunday, when we did not follow the denominational statistics, when I got around that corner, I was like, yay, I'm so excited. A preacher took some glee for just a moment in an accomplishment. Am I wrong? I mean, was that like against some kind of religious rule? Did I sin in that moment? I don't think so. I mean, a lot of people invested a whole lot to get us to that place. I really genuinely was petrified and then excited. Now, some folks may say that was wrong. Some folks say that Cam Newton is a showboat. Others uh, really don't like the whole Superman beating the chest thing or, you know, this, and I'm not even going to attempt to do that thing. What's it called? Dabbing. Dabbing. I said dabbing the other day and somebody said, that's not how you say it, it's dobbing. And I have Googled it, I cannot find the uh, pronunciation, so dabbing. Uh, You know, people don't like him because of that. So my question for you this morning is, why? Because you see, I think the question that we have to look at when we find ourselves not liking someone because of their achievements or because of their actions or whatever, there's something bigger going on. There's something at the root of it. And that something is not just here and now. It traces back a couple of thousands of years. And Jesus pretty much called them out on it back then. Just like we're going to talk about it right now. You see, Cam Newton actually has the stats to back up his Showboating, he is gifted But he does one more thing that I find phenomenal If you want to do a study of people A sociology study or psychology study Why is it that in all the newspapers and the, on the news We hear about the showboating, the superman, the dabbing But we don't hear nearly as much about this What's that? It's a little boy. And what's he got in his hands? A football. He got it from Cam Newton. Cam Newton gives away every touchdown football. I've watched some news footage of where he like goes after the referees to get it. And then one referee gave the ball away to somebody else. And he went to get it from him and then very quickly ran over and gave it to a kid. Newton says he just looks, he just sees all the hands and he tries to make sure that he gives it to a kid. Look at a picture of all the faces of the children that the news folks were able to gather together that uh, had received a football. I think they're pretty happy. Cam Newton says, my thing is to bring joy to people because a little gesture goes a long way. My hope My plan is to bring joy to people because a little gesture goes a long way. I want you to hear these words in the gospel of Mark this morning. Jesus and the disciples were coming down the road to Jerusalem and the disciples had a plan that morning. They thought he was getting ready to take over his kingdom. Now, they had an idea of what this kingdom was going to be going to be like it was going to overthrow the other military forces and their opponents and jesus was going to set up a, a military and a governmental kingdom much unlike what happened actually but they didn't know how he was going to react and respond when he actually entered jerusalem so they were working on their winning plan James and John were walking alongside him, and they got some guts, and they made a request to Jesus. I want you to hear that request this morning. Then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to him, teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. Jesus asked, what do you want me to do for you? And they replied, let one of us sit at your right And let the other one of us sit at your left in glory. And Jesus said, you don't know what you're asking. Can you drink the cup I drink of or be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with? We can, they answered. And Jesus said to them, you will drink the cup I drink and be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with, but to sit at my right or left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they have been prepared. Now, when the 10 other disciples heard what was going on, they became indignant with James and John. Jesus, sensing that there was some animosity growing in the group, he called them together and he said, you know, those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles and those who lord it over them and they're high officials that exercise authority over them. You know who those are? Well, I want to let you know, you're not going to be like that. Because whomever wants to become great among you must first be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. For even the son of man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So James and John. If you want to put that in modern day context. They would have lived in uh, Probably the peninsula down in, in Huntersville And their dad would have uh, started this startup technology business That's located there in, in a mega building With lots of new subsidiaries That have spawned off of that business And they would probably retire at an early age As self-made millionaires That would be sort of the, the status of James and John Zebedee He was a successful man in biblical times And so they had live this successful life, and then they give up everything with a couple of other friends of theirs, Peter and Andrew, and some other disciples that they had come to know, and they started following this man named Jesus. They watched him do amazing things. They watched him heal the lame and the blind, and, and just people fell in love with him. He had this charisma about him that you just couldn't resist, so it's natural really when they are walking into Jerusalem and know that the kingdom of God is getting ready to be ushered in they think it's going to be a man man focused kingdom and Jesus is going to be the king thus the title the king of the Jews And so they do what normal human beings do. I think that's the beauty, one of the beauties in this story. You know what? We're just like them. I think that's why Clay Christensen wrote the book How to Measure Your Life because he noticed when, with his alumni from Harvard, that the longer they got away from their degree, the longer they got away, the further they got away from their dreams, and they started chasing money and status and fame so much so that it ended up with the one Enron guy in prison, and they lost the real meaning. That's why he wrote the book How to Measure Your Life. Your life is measured by far more greater things than status and wealth. And power Power was what James and John were looking for They wanted to be on the right and the left hand They wanted to be the men Well, Jesus doesn't even grant that request But then look what happens The other ten, they're ticked Hey, we gave up everything too We're homeless just like you two What did you do to get you a a seat closer to Jesus? Jesus You know, this goes on to happen a couple of more times in in the final week of Jesus' life, even in the upper room uh, when they gather together for the last meal. And that's what we're going to look at next week and how Jesus sort of put a, a quelch on the whole argument. The argument right here is just beginning. They are jockeying for territory. And then the others get jealous. We don't like Cam Newton's showboating. Could we be just a little jealous? could we be jealous that our favorite quarterback doesn't break all those records? Or do we just not like that it's showy? You know, he's like 26, 27 years old and he says he is a kid at heart. Let the man dance. Because you know what? He also lives a lot like Jesus. He makes it about others and not just himself and he gives things away. So much so that he got pushback at the beginning. And now, because he's done it for so long, guess what? He's not the only one that does it. Do you know what a difference it makes in a kid's life to receive a touchdown football at a game? Uh, The Panthers business folks say the seats in the end zones now are in higher demand than ever, not just because of the winning season. They want to be on the bottom row. If you watch the commercial where all the kids that you saw in the picture uh, were filmed and interviewed about what it meant to get a football, one little boy said, I'm not bullied anymore. I'm popular with my friends. This other little boy says, I am happy now. I will have the best life ever. All because they got a football. So dancing and showboating aside, the man's making a difference because he gives things away. That is how we measure our lives. So in just a few moments, we're going to give you a very tangible way to do that. There are clothes, clothes. In the commons area, clothes galore. Thank you, Bonnie Battaglia and the missions, amazing missions team. And thank you for bringing your clothes. We are not having a giant yard sale. And no, it's not a clothes swap. You go pick out what you want. You brought some, you leave with different ones. We're very intentional here at West with the schools we partner with, with all of our missional partners. Cloverleaf, Presley, And Third Creek have some of the highest percentages of poverty in the ISS school system. They're schools that we partner with all year long. And their clothes closets are in desperate need of clothes. And so the missions team had the vision that for a no huddles day, because we're a no huddles kind of church, it is fine to come here and sit and and feed on the word of God and hopefully grow in our walk with God but then you know what we got to do something with it we've got to throw the ball down the field and we need to score some touchdowns the way we score touchdowns as a church is by going out there and boxing up clothes that were donated You want to know the beautiful thing I think about this no huddles day is that not only did you donate the clothes, but some of our schools here, and I won't name them because I won't get them all right, but I know that several of our local schools right here that do not have large clothes closets because the need is a little different here in this demographic region than in downtown Statesville, they got in on the deal. With special folks connected with West, taking the mission and the vision to those schools. So those with are giving to those without. I think that looks a lot like what Jesus was saying. If you want to be great in this world, if you want to have a life that feels full and matters, then you better give it away. Because that's when you will feel like dancing. I'm convinced There's one more parable in Matthew that Jesus tells in this final week of his life. It's the parable of the sheep and the goats. It's called the parable of the final judgment and we don't have time to unpack that but I just think it's it's powerful what Jesus says. Take a look at this quote from Matthew 25. When they were arguing again about who was gonna be greatest and Jesus was trying to make the point, he said, I'm telling the solemn truth. Whenever you have failed to do one of these things to someone who was being overlooked or ignored, that was me. You failed to do it for me. When you failed to give clothes to those who were naked or give food to those who were hungry, to give water to those who were thirsty. When you failed to do that to the least, you have failed to do that to me. Kim Newton has another quote. You know, it's just a God thing. I thank God every single day. I'm just his instrument, and he's using me on a consistent basis daily. God is using me to extend his word, and I'm a prime example of how God could turn something that was bad into something that was very great. If God is with me, who can be Against me. Let us pray. Almighty God, you are with us all, and you, calls, you call us to use our gifts and our resources to be you, to be your love, your hands, your feet, your grace, your hope with all those in our community and in our world. This morning, I ask that you pour out your blessings on all the clothes that are gathered out there so that when they and the other parts and pieces of no huddles, the school supplies, the valentines, when they get in the hands of a child or a teacher, that they will know that there are followers of the way of Christ that care and will sacrifice their time on a Sunday morning to share the love of Christ. We offer ourselves to you in his name. Amen.